Welcome to a new episode of the Film at Lincoln Center podcast. This week, we're excited to present two conversations. The first, from the 61st New York Film Festival, with Inside the Yellow Cocoon Shell director, Pham Tin An, and the second, with the cast and creative team of the Showtime series, The Curse. Winner of the prestigious Camera d'Or for Best First Film at last year's Cannes Film Festival, and a current selection of NYFF 61, the enthralling Inside the Yellow Cocoon Shell is a reflection on faith, loss, and nature expressed with uncommon invention and depth. It's a simple tale told with visual complexity. After a car accident claims the life of his sister-in-law and leaves his five-year-old nephew an orphan, a 30-something man named Tien leaves Saigon for a trip back to his rural hometown. During his wandering visit, Tien wrestles with his own agnosticism in the face of others' religious beliefs, summons memories of his long-disappeared brother, and reconnects with a former girlfriend who now lives as a nun at a Christian church and school. In the brilliantly discomforting collaboration between Nathan Fielder and Benny Safdie, The Curse finds Fielder and Emma Stone playing married entrepreneurs, don't call them gentrifiers, who flip houses and convert them into eco-friendly homes for the struggling residents of Espanola, New Mexico, all for an HGTV-style reality show. Film at Lincoln Center has been pleased to present the remaining seven episodes from this genre-defying NYFF 61 Spotlight selection. And, following our screening of episodes 8 and 9, we welcomed cast members Nathan Fielder, Benny Safdie, Emma Stone, and Najonia Luxie Austin, and executive producer Dave McCary, to discuss the series with FLC programmer Dan Sullivan. Stay tuned for that lively conversation, but first, please enjoy our discussion with Inside the Yellow Cocoon Shell director Pham Tin An, moderated by FLC programmer Tyler Wilson. Thank you uh, again for being here for the film. Thank you all for sticking around. I know it's late. Um, I'll start with a few questions, and then if there's time, we can take some from the audience. Uh, but um, I, I wanted to follow up on what you were saying in your introduction about um, your short, uh, Stay Awake, Be Ready, which you made in 2019, um, offering a kind of route for this film uh, as its opening sequence, and, and that you were already writing the feature back then. Um, Inside the Yellow Cocoon Shell is is not at all what um, that short led me to believe would be your first feature, just in thinking of, of its vast scope and the, the ideas and the ground you cover. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just curious what that treatment looked like back then um, and and I guess how it evolved in the aftermath of making that short since, uh, since you had mentioned um, using that film to sort of experiment with certain techniques and ideas. Uh... Anh xin trả lời là khi uh, khi mà uh, vào năm 2018 khi mà anh um, anh chắp bút viết uh, cái uh, vào cái thời điểm đó là cái thời điểm mà anh đã có một cái uh, Um, so Thiên said that in 2018 when he started the script for this film 
um, well, he started the script for this film and he was filming the short film. He already had the treatment for this feature film in 2018. And he was lucky to receive the assistance of a short film contest in Vietnam where he can experiment with um, a one-shot short film um, with a conversation between the three men and with the motorbike crash. And uh, he was trying to experiment to see if he kind of have a sense of uh, a particular cinematic vision that he wants to convey and he felt confident about it after that if after the success of the short film and that's how he went on to make this film he also wants to add that um at the the fin the beginning script of the film is very very different from the finished product and um as he was setting out to write the film he felt like he wasn't um, achieving the sense of maturity um, to cover this film and only as the film was being filmed that the script of the film actually materializes and at um, April 2022 when the film finished shooting that the script actually uh, re- becomes its final form. I want to talk about that cinematic vision and I guess specifically the long takes in this film. I mean, cause I, I, each of them is rendered with such like complexity and and, and detail. Um, in in any number of them, you're 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 playing uh, with you know on and off screen space, depth of field, uh, frames within frames, sound design, um, I, but but also just how we experience um, time unfold in these sequences. Often, often in in, in pretty disarming ways. Um, I mean, especially towards the end, there there are these sequence that sequences that pretty fluidly take us uh, into a dream or into a memory or may- maybe something in between that. Um, so I, I, I'm just curious why you chose to compose most of your film through long takes and, and I guess what, what questions or what effects were you interested in exploring through them? Khi mà anh thực hiện những cụ máy giải thì điều trước tiên đấy so Tinan said that through the long takes he aims to create a, a film world where the audience the viewer will have the time and space to observe and to put themselves into that world and after the success of his short film he was convinced that the long take is a way to hypnotize um, the viewers almost like is a is a magic show is a magic trick and um in which they forget the existence of the camera and once they forgot the existence of the camera the audience the crew and the actors seem to all hold the same rhythm and the same um the same breath and the audience are immersed even deeper into the film and he feels like that was that is the moment that he could capture um the audience into the film world and at the end he was truly able to um, show the true power of these long takes, which is the sequence pulling people into dreams. Well, I I guess I want to turn to like a a specific sequence that I find uh, particularly immersive in this film. It's, it's one that occurs about a third of the way into the film, which the, the, the sequence that that culminates with Tian meeting uh, the Mr. Liu character, the veteran. Um, But of course, not before we, we follow Tian on his sort of, ride to get to that house um can you can you just talk about how that 
that scene was developed. I think it's an especially long and, and complicated sequence to pull off. Um, may, maybe, um, maybe you can start with the location. Um, I, I'm just curious, is, is this a, a region, is this an area that you're quite familiar with or were there um, certain ideas that you wanted to pull off and, and then you found that location that could, uh, could do that for you? Uh, thực ra ở cả ngày thì anh uh, bắt đầu bằng ý tưởng trước và anh uh, đi tìm địa điểm và anh dường như anh đã chọn để được được một địa điểm rất là um, so he states that he actually started with an idea and then he looked for the location for it and he already found the ideal location for this particular sequence a year prior to the beginning of sh uh, shooting the film however um, as he found out a couple of homes got built um, into the frame that he was planning for this location. Um, and so his crew had to go and find a replacement in the span of two weeks, which was the replacement that we all saw on screen. Um, the location is really important for this particular long take because uh, the starting and ending point must be um, well-developed to properly develop this long take. And so they had to rehearse for uh, three weeks, um, um, and um, uh, also Mr. Liu is a real person who An saw in a documentary and uh, he met him and asked him to play this character but a thing about Mr. Liu is that he cannot remember lines he can only remember his uh, war stories which goes a little different every single time because he's a little absent-minded about it so they all have to kind of get him to read off screen. And that was the result of the long take that everyone saw. So th that particular sequence took three weeks to rehearse. And so um, how much time was spent actually shooting that sequence? How many times did you shoot it? Bao nhiêu lần cho quay cả. Thực ra thì cái cạn này ăn quay So he said that he actually only managed to get a successful shot twice. Um, and the morning that he shot the very last time, um, it was there was a lot of stick uh, because if he didn't manage to get it that one time, um, it will probably not happen. He will have to come back the next day. It will cause a lot of problems because, for instance, he was asking people to take the buffaloes up the hill, but the buffaloes were passing the coffee plants one too many times and it was starting to destroy all the plants on the way or like the children that were doing the lion dance that you saw um, they got bored and tired it was fun for them at first but it was just they were on there for too long and even the house that they were filming that was Mr. Liu's house the family has um, visitors coming so they just could not do it another time and that was the time that he got the shot I feel like I have a lot of questions about the animals in this film, but um, we're, we're approaching midnight and I do want to um, leave some time for audience questions. So um, if you have a question, just raise your hand. Um, yes, in the back. And I think um, we'll have a mic. Uh, so basically, what's the, um, there's a prominence in Catholicism in the film and how, uh, what, uh, how does that originate and how does that, how does that uh, develop in the process of writing and also filming? Uh, nói về điều quan trọng của tại sao anh đưa rất nhiều hình ảnh tôn giáo thì uh, 
so the reason why there's so many there's so many religious imageries in the film is because he was born and raised in Baolop, uh in a um, Catholic village and so in his childhood people woke up early for church services and at the end of their long work day they will gather to pray and to express their gratefulness to God um, after their long work day and so later on in his life when he moved to Saigon for work and study and he felt like he got caught in this um, vicious cycle between work and fame and money and so this film was his way of looking back on his journey of faith um, and kind of a reflection of the life in that he had in Saigon that left him quite dissatisfied. Um, when he was younger, being Catholic felt just a natural thing um, that you do because you grew up there. But as he grew up, he started to read the Bible. He started to um, do more research and read more about the universe and humankind. And um, this is this is the journey back to those reflections. Right here in the middle. I was curious about um, the performances in the film. Um, they were really astounding. Uh, um, and particularly, uh, I was wondering uh, about the old woman that the protagonist meets by the end of the film. Um, can you go more in depth about uh, her casting and um, what role she played in the film as well? Uh về 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 phần uh, diễn viên của phim ấy thì uh, am xin nói là uh, trong tài bộ phim này khoảng 90% là So as for the actors in the film 90% of them are amateur actors and only 1% of them are professional actors which includes the actor that played the old lady um, she's a professional actress that was uh, that went through casting for the film and as for her role in the film she's a person that had a chance to have this unique perspective as she died and went back to life. Um, and so um, the scene was a dream. It wasn't a reality, but it was a part of Tian's awakening, uh, benefiting from that perspective that was expressed through this old lady. Um, I wanted to ask, uh, this has been such a great year for the new cinema, uh, especially with Jenny Goldman, both Peter and Pan, and Your I just wanted to ask, since you're such a big inspiration for all So, um, Tienan said that he's not particularly well versed uh, with Vietnamese cinema or has not really had a lot of chance to come into close contact with a lot of Vietnamese directors. However, the film became something sort of a, a blessing that uh, was able to give him a particular stance, a particular uh, position, which allowed him to be in contact with all of these uh, Vietnamese directors. And as for inspiration, he was mainly inspired by his own personal story. Um, and um, this first feature was a very whole experience um, because it took place in where he was born and raised and it also features Saigon, which are two very different, almost opposite places in terms of culture and people. Um, 
And so the materials that he usually has for his film comes from metropolitan streets, come from the streets, uh, things that people usually miss. And he did say that it seemed, it feels like turning stone into gold kind of thing. Um, and later on, um, he also looks to nature for inspiration. Uh, I'm afraid we're out of time. Um, it's officially a new day. Uh, uh, but um, thank you so much for your film and, and for presenting it today. Okay. Thank you. This podcast is proudly supported by Netflix, presenting Maestro, nominated for eight Critics' Choice Awards, including Best Picture, and two SAG Award nominations for Best Actor, Bradley Cooper, and Best Actress, Carrie Mulligan. Bradley Cooper completely transforms into legendary conductor-composer Leonard Bernstein. Time Magazine calls it grand-scale filmmaking that's also bracingly intimate, and The Observer calls it the best picture of the year. With expert craftsmanship from Leonard Bernstein prosthetic makeup designer Kazuhiro, spectacular cinematography from Matthew Libatique, an outstanding costume design by Mark Bridges, spanning five decades of the epic love story. Maestro, for your consideration in all categories. So I think I wanted to start with, uh, with Emma Nijonia, um, because the last time I was talking to Benny in this setting, we were... Uh, talking a little bit about some of the, I think, points of reference, kind of uh, real-world wor real uh, influences on the, the characterization of Dougie. And um, I was especially curious to hear from you two about uh, uh, sort of a similar line of questioning. Um, that is, like, uh, I think your character, through your the relationship between your characters, the show is... Uh, maybe speaking most explicitly about some uh, some really uh, important themes uh, concerning like, uh, you know, white liberal guilt, uh, the role of, uh, or the art world and kind of the role of the art market in relationship to uh, to various things that, that the show's uh, attending to. And I was kind of curious, I was kind of uh, hoping you two could talk a little bit about some of I mean, if there are any like real-world uh, bases uh, for the characterizations of Whitney and Kara, um, or even just kind of like general sociological trends that were sort of on your mind when you're um, formulating your approaches to the characters, and uh, I think either of you could start here. Nijoni, you start, because no comment. <laughs> <laughs> you start. <laughs> Please. Uh, I guess in terms of like the relationship, um, uh, I, I feel like it's it's a, it is a common relationship with, you know, someone that's your benefactor, and there's like that power dynamic, and um, and yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's it's definitely a thing. You know, there's always somebody that's, you know, holding the cards and. Um, yeah, I don't know, my, my approach to it, um, yeah. It's from your audition? Yeah. yeah. I, yeah. I think we, so, so just so for people have some context, uh, 
we worked with uh, Nijonia a lot on the the character, you know, and changed a lot of the script. Once we once we found her and and we're like, okay, like, uh, you know, this is the person who who can do Kara. She brought so much to it that was different than what we expected, but so real and honest that we kind of adjusted the whole script to uh, incorporate it. But we also had her just sort of like improvise in the audition at one point. We had all these scripts, but we have like very low confidence sometimes in our writing. And we're just like, well, let's just see how it goes. And... We had the whole turkey thing. I think we um, did an interview. It was like a fake. Yes, it was a fake like news interview about her yeah. uh, about her art. And um, yeah, she. Uh, so we were just interviewing about. We had the turkey scene was in the script and all that. So we were just asking her about like you know what is the meaning behind like the turkey, and pretty much that speech that you saw in the episode was what she just improvised in that moment. And it was incredible. And, um, yeah. And so at some point when we were shooting, I think, or, or we were writing as we were shooting too, and we were wanting to tweak that scene, yeah, we called her up and I was like, <laughs> we were like Is it hey, okay? can we use... Uh, that what you said in the thing and she was like oh yeah totally go for it um because it was just so uh kind of concise and poetic and sort of like summed up and it it felt like it came from you in the moment i I don't know what yeah where did that come from when you sort of um that was actually my thoughts while i was reading the scene on script i had no idea what the turkey meant even like up into the moment where like we were improvising it, it just kind of like came out of me. Um, and I honestly was curious about like, did you guys even know what the meaning of the slicing of the meat meant before I said that? It was a dumber version yes. of that. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't know how, we sort of didn't want the character to explain it. And I think originally, like, Kara wasn't supposed to actually talk about it because we didn't sort of want... We liked this idea that everyone around her was sort of talking about her art, but she actually wasn't. But the way you said it was just so real and, like, hit us in that I, moment. That I think... I, I, Emma and Dave were also like, this needs to happen in, the, in, in it. You know, there has to be this confrontation. And it's, it's amazing to see, like, the, the, the re- rehearsal and then see the final result because it was so much more... Because when you were standing in front of Whitney, you know, it just, it's really powerful. But Yeah, I mean, it occurred to me in watching these episodes that... Um, that the character of Kara is almost like the closest thing the show has to like an audience surrogate um, at times. And, and so Jonia, I I was, I was hoping you could talk a little bit about this. You know, it's kind of like a complicated thing to have to perform uh, discomfort, cynicism and, and, uh, and, you know, um, uh, like ambivalence, like all at the same time. And, 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 and have to like shift registers from moment to moment. So, so yeah, I was. I mean, I was wondering if you had any thoughts about kind of that that dance, you know? Um. Yeah. I mean, my my discomfort 
definitely, um, we've kind of talked a little bit about like moments of silence and how like Kara does really have like a lot of those moments where you can see that there's so much going on like inside, but not really actually like seeing her emotions. And um, yeah, I mean, it's, She's totally comfortable with that silence. That's the hard, that's the crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I also love how in episode eight it feels sort of like Kara has like softened to Whitney for like a little moment. Like you sort of are like don't make fun of her. Like you sort of are like defending her a little to your friend. She's nice or whatever, and then later it just becomes there's so much disgust. Yeah. Yeah. It's um. Yeah. Um. And and uh, so I want I, w- I want to turn to uh, Benny and Nathan a little bit um, uh, here, which is just, uh, as like pertaining to episode eight, just because I think it's like pretty revelatory for some things about like the the friendship between uh, Dougie and Asher. And um, it actually it occurred to me in watching episode eight that like I'd perhaps I perhaps like overestimated how well friendship had been explored in like movies and TV and so on and and um the idea of a, of a genuinely like truthfully complicated uh friendship and so um I was kind of yeah I was curious to hear from both of you sort of about like conversations you had and kind of um arriving at what the exact shape of this friendship would be and sort of how it would um gradually be revealed by the show because there are, I feel like um, we don't have that strong of a sense of sort of uh, certain aspects of like your shared past or whatever uh, up until this point and sort of how you like te- how you guys talked about teasing that out um, well it's 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 one thing that I thought was just like outside of that that is kind of that adds to that is that Nathan and I are sometimes friends you know and <laughs> and in the show, we had to kind of have that, but then add this layer to it. And Nathan was really kind of adamant about this idea of like, the, there's a sadness to somebody not understanding a social situation and uh, mis- misunderstanding kind of um, somebody being mean, at, you know, kind of just out of defense. And that was the crux of their relationship is like dealing with that spoken and unspoken. And I think that for a lot of it, you know, the show, you're watching it and you have a certain idea of who Dougie is and what he's doing. But when you actually see Dougie the bully, like, what does that do? You know, how does that feel? Because you've come to your own conclusions about somebody based on everything else. But then when you actually see their relationship, yes, it's in episode eight. But we, w- we like purposely held off until this moment so that it kind of all can kind of bubble up because you've dealt with all of these kind of pressure cookers between the two of them and I don't know it was just though that that scene was we that was it was oddly fun in a weird way because we were it, we did a, it was really a long scene we did that all as one run right what scene are you talking about the interview oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. the interview and then that into like I call it the Asher Dougie date you know where they go on they have their kind of reconnection and again it's just this uncomfortableness at like knowing that you've done something to somebody and that they don't actually know something and you can't really get forgiveness because you don't want to be truthful about it. So it's there's a lot of complicated things that you have to deal with when you have friendships or you've said certain things. And I don't know, it's, it's but it is, it was just 
fun. It was it was not fun is the wrong word because I don't think it's fun to watch, but I do actually. Um, that's maybe the messed up thing. I don't know. Um, and also Asher not like being able to like admit to himself the truth about their relationship because it sort of means that he had no friends if yes. it's true. And so he sort of has to believe he was part of the fun, even though they were sort of, but also like kids, you know, so like, I don't know, do they know what they're really doing or so everyone's a little, uh, has their own little delusions, I guess. But you're, you're pulling from past relationships and ideas and you're just kind of trying to make it into what seems right for these people. And I don't know, the fact that they're working together and making this thing is so complicated because one person has so much more power in that certain situation. But Yeah, I mean, um, uh, an, I mean, a, a equally sort of pivotal relationship here is obviously Asher, Asher and Whitney. And um, I think uh, given some of the things that are foregrounded in these two episodes, um, it makes me especially interested to hear from Nathan and Emma about um, about sort of the the conceptualization of kind of the arc that the relation or the depiction of the relationship uh, in the show, and um, and yeah, it, it occurs to me that there's like um, uh, there's something about the relationship where it's like everything is sort of marked by some kind of like. Uh, capitalist striving or or what have you so like um so yeah i was just kind of curious about how you guys envisioned uh the relationship playing out across the whole of the the series because um because i don't think it's like a very linear kind of depiction of like the dissolution of a relationship i don't want to hijack this but i want to just hold on backtrack for one second because when i said no comment that was who this could be maybe based on <laughs> or like who was maybe inspiration. I want to just go back to the Kara relationship for one second. I think that the Kara Whitney relationship is one of the most pivotal, vital elements to this show. I think that everything that's happening between the two of them silently or spoken is very definitive um, in terms of what this show is saying and without being prescriptive about what I believe this all means, I think that what Najoni brought to Kara and the the way that she played this character and also improvised these lines that eventually made it into the show are, to me, the most vital of the entire series and the way that I understand Whitney and what she is reacting to and what she's melting down internally about. So I just wanted to say that really quickly because I said no comment and it's <laughs> extremely, I have many extreme comments. extreme comment. Internally, yeah. exactly. I have many comments. Uh, she's fucking incredible and it's a very, very important uh, dynamic. So to Asher, the, I mean, that's for, yeah, she's, yeah. Okay, so <clears throat> Asher, whatever, you know. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. You're great. The... Um, Asher and Whitney, what what was your idea about that relationship? Well, you acted in it. You don't. Um, yeah, I, I think like uh, I mean, what's so amazing too is it's interesting like watching it with the audience and everything, and like Whitney is, is very so, uncomfortable like, watching with an audience. I think Whit yeah, it was it was uh, it was it was uncomfortable. Yeah, it was it was. <laughs> 
Whitney, like, We've it, never watched it, it just with feels an like you really see on the big screen and everything, just like, Whitney is really feels like she's trying really hard to do kind of the right thing. And there's these like pressures, like what you were saying about just like capitalist structures, like there are these pressures around her that are on everyone that are so the norm that you don't really think about it unless it's like seen like in a show like this really. Cause it's just, she's sort of trying to do and the discomfort, like when you see that cut of the show and, and like, She's doing what she feels she's supposed to do. She truly believes in the show, and it's so painful to watch. She truly believes she's doing the right thing all the time, but she is a human mood ring. Yeah. Who's reacting to anyone's, you know, look at her. So she's, she, you know, any look or any feeling, it's a weird combination because narcissists don't have empathy. But. She weirdly has a combination of like feeling the room, yet being deeply, deeply narcissistic. You could be a partial yeah. narcissist. Well, I, I, yeah. That's actually that's an you amazing don't have to be point. Full all or none. Because she isn't. But, she she doesn't actually. She sees it and understands it, but doesn't necessarily feel it. She knows right. what she has to do. Yeah, it's a very stra- It's a very common affliction. And I think she's taking these thoughts. No, but it's like a very modern affliction. I think that that you 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 know you know what's the right thing to do. You know what you're supposed to be saying, posting, doing, in a circumstance, and yet you don't necessarily feel it all the way in your bones because you want everybody to think. You know, you it's she was fascinating to play for so many reasons cuz there are so many people and i and i understand it like i get it like you you know you're like i'm supposed to do all these things correctly and and be and then you just turn into a and i'm not saying i'm whitney um, maybe i am am i whitney <laughs> Fuck. Well, it was based on a lot of our well, conversations the, oh, okay, since yeah, we met. yeah that is interesting <laughs> the <laughs> but there is like a you know there's something so so modern about her um it does feel like one of the most brutal things you can do to someone is say that they're responsible. You're like you're responsible for telling your own story. It's a real like burden when you're a person like Whitney, <laughs> and like what? How do you tell your own story and what's the way to do it? Because your mind is blocking out certain things. So like, it's not only the Asher and Whitney, but the Dougie element and this pressure for Whitney to have to tell her own story and be sincere about it. And she eventually comes to a place with Dougie where they both agree on what her story is. Yeah, everybody's delusion. And she, it feels honest. It feels like she's saying what she actually feels, which is weird well, that, that she's yeah, able to do that in yeah, the show. And she, and, yeah. she almost becomes Dougie right at the moment where Dougie unbecomes himself. You know, so it's like... It's just a little too late in a lot of ways. But it's just funny because, yeah, she's... She does not become Dougie. But yeah. it, it, when you see her sitting with Kara in that, like, in that moment, say it as a... Sen- like, you see these instances where she's basically oh, right. being <laughs> the producer in that yeah. way. And I don't know, there's just... There was, there was definitely, like, to, to what Nathan was saying, this idea that the show is going to be this ultimate representation of who she is. And that's the one thing Whitney is deathly afraid of actually doing, which is showing to the world what she actually believes in and what she thinks. So that's why the show is going in such a ping-pong way, because she doesn't know what she wants to say, and she's very nervous about that all the time. So, Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. 
Like, well, what? Well, I mean, I, I guess I should have just said nothing there. <laughs> <laughs> and my mistake was saying a sound. But I so, do, I do think. Yeah, but, but yeah, to, look, Benny's works, a pro. Actually. He's been at all of these. No, the, this is the, my first the one. Thing that, the thing that you guys I do. All know Benny. The thing that's really. <laughs> The thing that I find, that what you're saying about like this realistic form of friendship or this realistic kind of, I feel like a relationship, that's what was really kind of hard was to show a marriage that's new and struggling, but with all of these kind of miscommunications that happen while it's going on. Um, and then I think what, I've been so excited to even get to this point of episode nine, because I think it's so funny to be in the room while each person is witnessing kind of a version of themselves on screen and having to deal with that, you know? Yeah, actually, well, uh, that that segues uh, beautifully into what I wanted to ask about now, which is, uh, I think, like, all of your answers and on some level kind of spoke to this, but the the kind of, the experience of watching the show in a, in a cinema and the way that that enlarges certain aspects, maybe it pushes other things to the background or whatever. I'd be curious to hear from all of you kind of about the experience of watching The Curse in a movie theater. Dave, this seems like a great question for you. You know, Dave has said for weeks, <laughs> they don't want to talk to me. They don't have any questions for me. If I, I mean, if I was just a fan of the show, I would not want this well, guy you are just a fan. Of, I, th I thought you were just a fan right that walked on stage. We who thought you? you just walked on stage. <laughs> I shouldn't no, have. For the, I just want to say, for those who don't know, Dave McCary, he was an instrumental part of this show in cra helping craft the tone and being there every Executive day, producer to like, Dave part of all these conversations about how we were executing it and and um, and kind of maintaining this like arc to the whole season. That is like as you're shooting. 70 uh or 70 days but every scene's like out of order and everything yes it's Dave a, was it's the only thing. exclusively on set executive producer you guys were writing or directing show running he was he banging was just there yeah. so everyone take producer. out a pen and write this write name this down, down. <laughs> and i want you to look up this man's imdb <laughs> this man is brilliant and i want you to watch his other work the director of brigsby bear for those that don't know. The director know. of my favorite An amazing shapes. film. The I director... No, whatever. The well. director of the sketch group Good Neighbor. That is true. Oh, a little less applause than Brigsby Bear. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. But it was... Dave was, a, was like, oh, like a compass. I called him super glue at episode... The last time we were here. So please, take it away, Dave. Anyway, what was it what, like to watch it in the theater, Dave? What's, what is... The, what, what were we what talking about? was like about? watching it in a theater? Um... That that is very sweet that you guys said that. Cause then like, then they have some content. I do feel more confident now. <laughs> um, uh, what was it like? Well, I, I'm really enjoying coming to the theater much. I I was just talking to Najonia about this. Like I this is one of my favorite things that, that we've been, as a filmmaker or being a part of behind the scenes of these things. Like there's nothing like this, and this show always felt as we were making it like it was a 10 hour film and I, I wish more people in the world got to experience it like this. Um, and the, the energy coming off you, it's very depressing to watch by yourself, I would imagine. <laughs> but then you, you feel some laughs and it, it, it actually really shifts the way scenes play in an interesting way. And, and now seeing many iterations of these cuts 
and, and feeling very uh, bleak <laughs> about. And then coming here, everyone's like, yeah. <laughs> I, I will say, if you have been here before, we've done very long Q&As. I've warned everybody that we're going to do that again. So either way, we'll try as hard as possible to. And everyone was against yeah. it. Yes. <laughs> so there will be a that's, very. That's the tone. You can just here. get up and walk out. Whatever no tension you're observing up here is a result of that. There will be a very strong <laughs> emphasis on as hard as possible. In, yes. In, yeah. Anyway, uh, let's open it up. Uh, if you have a question, raise your hand. I'll call on you. We'll bring you a microphone, Whoa. and we'll start right here in the cardigan. Hi, okay, so I have a question mostly for Nathan, actually. You are directing, and maybe for Benny, too, a little bit, if you want to pipe in. Um, <laughs> uh, you're directing a lot of these episodes, and you're also doing this like very intense acting that at least I don't think we've seen you do before in like any of your other projects. What is that like to do, like when you're you know, watching the monitor and seeing yourself like get very intense? Or are you just like not thinking about that at all? <laughs> The really intense moments are are definitely uh, weird to to look at because it's like um, I'm like, does that look like normal or as a is that do people does that look like a person or um, but yeah, I I you know I I started like making stuff on YouTube like in 2005 when like YouTube started and so I would edit my own stuff and sort of like make these shorts. So I like got used to that being like a part of my process where I, I'm directing myself and then I'm like watching it. So it's not, I'm sure it was weird for everyone else, me doing that because, you know, but I'm, you know, concerned about my acting too, you know, more than the pros, you know, up, uh, up here, right? Huh? Am I, am I right? Poor things, La La Land, Oppenheimer. Uh, Why are you saying Oppenheimer? Op oh, uh, There's two P's. Uh, Goodfellas. Um, um, but anyways, no, I'm always a little insecure about that. But uh, yeah, I, you know, I think it's like it is. You know, you like that's why this was like an extremely collaborative process with me and Benny, because there's a lot of scenes like we're not in together, so we're each looking out for each other with that and like looking at the monitor and everything you see on screen has been like heavily discussed with both of us and we're always trying to like put up their stuff that, it's a true collaboration, so we want to make sure we're on the same page about everything that we're doing and checking in. So it would be harder to do if it was like Benny wasn't there or Dave wasn't there, other people aren't there to like give us an yeah. opinion on that. Um, it was but. exciting for me to see you go and show all that, you know, like because you're that that final that scene in episode nine is like it's insane, you know. And it was like I knew you were nervous to do that, but it was like because it was you really couldn't. We had to kind of set it up like where you were kind of going and like you were going to say when you went, right? But he only did it twice. That's what I'm saying. Is he, at first and we were going to just... First remember take, the first right? take we were just going to do it? He was like, I'm not going to go all the way. I'm going to stop right before I go into the whole speech. Oh, yeah, yes. yeah. We were going to... Because I, I worked on... Because it's there's so many lines that don't logically connect. It's like the like one line doesn't make sense with another. So it was very hard to memorize. And like I worked on it all week. 
And I was like, okay, I'm going to go up until like the clapping part and then we'll like do a new take before I do that. But I was like, cause we started at the TV screen, I think, or like when we were watching and I guess I just like was in it and I started doing it and then I just did the whole thing. And then after we tried, we, to, do we, it again. We tried to do it again and it was bad. And I was, I think, I was sort of like, I guess I, because I like doing lots of takes if I can, but I, I felt like I couldn't do it anymore. So it was just after the second one, I think we bailed on it. Yeah. But and that was it. But it, there's definitely, it was like, it was like, there, there's, there's like moments of kind of like true hurt that, that Asher shows that I was, I'm always so excited to see it on the screen, you know, because it's, it is, it's, it's not like, it, the stakes aren't if you like a, if you were to just like ask what happened and it doesn't necessarily sound like that big of a deal but to the the characters in the screen it's a big deal you know everything that's happening and and as it is in kind of your everyday life if you're outside and you get into an interaction with somebody i've had the feeling where it's like if if i get into like not necessarily a fight or like somebody does something to you and you kind of think like oh like you kind of walk away getting really angry and then you think, oh, I should have, I should have said this, or I should have said that. And you kind of want to go back to the moment and find the person, just tell it to them. But they're never there, you know. You have, and then you have to live with that. But if you somebody asked you why you're so upset, and you're just like, oh, well, I was waiting online, and somebody accidentally bumped into me while I was on the phone. That's it. And then you're like, oh, but why were you so angry? And then you have to go into all of the backstory of what it is, who you were on the phone with, all that stuff. So that's kind of where I guess the show is trying to take you. Maybe. What? Th does that... <laughs> does, it's, it's, it's to put you in the moment of all of these people, you know? Oh. That answers the question. Oh, totally. <laughs> does that answer your question? <laughs> all right. Um, and this is what happens every time. More questions pop up as we speak. Uh, let's go to the back of the room. Uh, orange over here. Or I think it's orange. I can't tell. Coral. <laughs> Coral. Coral, nice. Hi. Hello. Um, so I have a question about the character of Dougie, kind of just about his motivations for doing something. Um, okay. And I, I, I hope this isn't something that just comes up in the finale, and if so, feel free to just no comment me. But um, So Dougie has a breathalyzer, and Dougie uses it, but he never uses it until he's already like on the highway. <laughs> and I just was curious about that. Um, well, I think he's already in the middle of driving like yeah, miles. Yeah, I think what, exactly. I think what it is is that he doesn't understand where he's at right when he gets into the car. It's only after a few minutes or like probably 20 minutes of driving that he realizes where he is. And he's like, oh, okay, I should probably do something about that. And he, he tries to make the right decision. You know, so. Dougie's an alcoholic. <laughs> yeah. And it's all, yeah, it's, it, in that moment, it's, it's a delayed reaction to how he... Acceptance of being an alcoholic. When, yeah. when do you use yours? <laughs> I mean, I think if you have one of those things like that, I mean, anything's game, right? Yeah. Like, if you have one well, on you... Yeah, no, that's true. And you're it's, probably doing it all the, the But it was, it was something we thought about. You know, we could have gone for the keychain version. We went with a very good breathalyzer. You know, it's something that he takes seriously. And it's just, there, there, I guess it's, it's interesting because there's things like that 
that he's doing to kind of, and he says it to Asher, I, I could see you were feeling uncomfortable, so that's why I'm doing this. Yeah, he you keeps know? doing it to reassure the other yeah. person he's saying. So it's, it's almost like if yeah. you think, oh, really, I'm, I'm drunk, uh, let me prove it to you, and then you're like, oh yeah, you're fucking wasted, you know? <laughs> and it's almost like it's only because the number tells him that he has to stop, so. I think also like .08 on those things is actually very high. You can drink a lot, and so yeah, that was he's probably always drunk and trying to prove to people he's not, but you can be drunk and still blow under. Because it's, it, it's actually, it's when like, you look at the actual law, that level is extremely high. I think it is like five or yeah. six beers to... And it's like, so you actually, we did the math and all this stuff of like how much you could actually get away with, you know, and then there's discretion at the, at the hands of the person who pulls you over. But this was... There was a lot, it's, it's interesting, it's such a simple question, but there is a lot of weird information that went into choosing that specific I mean, we could one. talk for hours about, yeah. about this. Yeah. Um, but let's not. What's, uh, yeah. Oh. Right there in the black t-shirt. How are you no, no, deciding no. on people? I'm curious, because you're sort of like, hmm. It's, uh, it's my gut. Oh, nice. Yeah. Guys, um, I'm not going to load this question. Is there a strategy to how much penis appears in each episode? Because it seems really carefully placed, but I mean, I got to know. Yes, it's fair. Yeah. Yeah. This is how I'm deciding who to call on. <laughs> the answer is yes. Next question. <laughs> All right, going, going back to the back. Uh, over here in the in, I see this person in, holding right dead center has been holding their hand up for a long time, Dan. All right, well, we'll call on her. No, but he has a thing where he's like, he sees that, but he's like, I'm going to not. <laughs> it's like the New York I... Film Fest way. Oh. <laughs> um, so I just recently listened to an interview with the great Rick Rubin. Wow. I know. Where it's is available this person? to everyone. Straight ahead. Thank you. You um, listened to an interview with who? Rick Rubin. Oh, okay. And he was saying that every piece of art is at first a diary entry. So my question for the creators is, what did you pull from your own lives that inspired the curse? Wow. Rick Rubin's wrong. <laughs> Next question. <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah, he's not letting us off the hook on that one. Um, Tell Rick Rubin, I just went to a Q&A with Nathan Fielder, <laughs> and he said that nothing is a diary entry. Um, the, I, get, I, can, I, I can try and answer. Um, I think that that actually is very truthful, and I don't necessarily... I, I, I was very open to kind of talking about myself, you know, and, and certain feelings and just like the way that you go through and how susceptible I am to certain marketing and all that stuff. And that you have to be kind of truthful about that stuff in order to, I think specifically for this to, to work if it does, you know? So I think that it is definitely, you can't be afraid to look in the, look at yourself and talk about that and, it was definitely like conversations, you know, just about how you move through, how you move through kind of the world and try and go through things. But um, it's not, I don't know, I don't know if it's as 
beneficial as a as it maybe it is you know as a diary entry because you're not really you're doing it against what you're like being told in a lot of ways but i don't know i mean also just when you feel like those natural like tensions in your life and like you're like why do i feel that way you want to uh it's like interesting to kind of explore those things i think in general and in, in stuff so what happened to you nathan what happened to you that might have inspired this show, Nathan? Uh, I, I uh, they already know, do you guys already know this, a, I don't this know. story just, about the like birth of the show with the curse? <laughs> Never mind then. <laughs> no, there's, there's I mean there's a there's a lot uh, you know yeah, you, yes, Rick Rubin is a, I'm sure he's whatever. I don't know. Stop stop talking about Rick Rubin. Uh, it's like just feels like such a a normal statement. I don't want to but uh, yeah, things come from from life, and uh, and uh, yeah, I think. Uh, well, Emma wants me to tell the story of when that woman said the curse thing to me, but I'm like, uh, I've told it a lot, but just in short, someone, the genesis of the show was someone did say to me, uh, I was in Westwood going to get a cell phone when I first moved to America, and a woman asked me for money, and I didn't have any, and she said, I curse you. And then I went to to the store to 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 get the phone, but the entire time I like couldn't get that out of my head, and it was bugging me, even though I don't believe in this stuff. And uh, so after I went to the ATM and I took out twenty dollars and I, I I gave it to her and I said, "Is the curse gone?" And she smiled and said, "Yes." <laughs> so that me telling Benny about that story and how it was like what that did to my mind. Uh, that's what we started talking about, just how words and the things you can project onto other people, and it was just, like, a good basis for, like, a show, because narratively, too, in, like, shows like this, like, lines and words mean things, and so to have that experience where you're not sure at any point what means what, and I think the characters, like, feel that way a lot of the time, too, um, was seemed like an interesting jumping off point. A few years ago, did you guys ever, sorry, this is, I mean, it, it makes sense to what you're saying, but I, I just, did you ever hear that episode of This American Life where they were talking about this man on the subway that was walking around to people and he wasn't saying anything, but he was like walking down the line and he would either, either give you a thumbs up or a thumbs oh, yes. down? Yes. Do you remember that? Yes. Did you guys hear, did anybody hear this episode? It's amazing, yes. And it was like a bunch of people were like, well, I don't, you know, nobody knew who this guy was and he was just silently walking around. He would walk like one by one and he would just go like. <laughs> and people were haunted by it. They were like, what does it mean? And like, is it, and it reminded me so much. I remember hearing that episode and then the you talking about this. It's such a weird idea that someone can just say something to you or do something to you that you no don't necessarily believe in but it will hang over you forever i mean just the experience of like leaving a conversation and feeling like did i say something stupid or that didn't go well day. like i feel like that's common <laughs> <laughs> no nope. maybe right guys yeah. thumbs up or none of us have ever been through that nathan did he ever but, give a hat but anyways i think that's like this like a lot of in this show is like the characters are really sort of concerned about how they leave these conversations with people and and it's also i guess yeah it's like normally you may see a conversation very quickly but we try to show the whole conversation 
so you can kind of see how people react when that feeling is hitting them. You know, where it's like, oh, should I have said that? Should I have not said that? I don't know. But in short, yes, we all love Rick Rubin, and we're all big, <laughs> big fans. And of, uh, and uh, yeah, uh, uh, we'll, we'll check out that podcast for sure. <laughs> all right, uh, Nathan, who do you who do you want to? No, no, from? I trust you. No, it's okay. Choose someone, no, and then we'll give you. Uh, See, I, I. All right. Uh, just because it's the first person I saw the guy over here in the blue. He's explaining now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. See what that does to someone. Yeah. Now he's being watched. The magic of language. Oh, my God. I had a question about the casting. Uh, I was pretty surprised a few episodes ago to see Dean Kane pop up. How did that come about, and uh, what was it like to work with him? We just try to include as many of our friends in the show as we can. So... <laughs> It's basically like, you know, Emma, Dean, we'll just call. Um. It, it was just, you know, it, was, it, it, was, it made sense. You know, I'd, I'd, I'd been a fan of Ripley's Believe It or Not, Lois, uh, Lois and Clark. This, this is all true. And it was just the, there was, something, there was something about him that seemed to make sense, you know, for that role. And it, that we, we reached out, we had a conversation with him, and then he was in the show. Yeah, you know? he was great. And, and he, he was, was yeah. really good to work with and really pro on set. Yeah. Like, fully just... Just, like, yeah. even, like, they're, like, little things, like, when, um, when he goes to shake Whitney's hand and she doesn't want to shake it, and he's like, I'm all right. There's, like, a lot of... It was an interesting thing to, to kind of work with and play yeah. with. Because, but, um, yeah, he was great. You know, he had a good time. And, yeah, I don't know. The, and the casting is just really who's right for that part. And every... Every part we really put poured a lot over, you know? There was a couple of times where we would get somebody, we would see their tape, and then we would have a conversation with them and do some kind of an improv with them. Yeah. And one time we didn't do that, and it was like, oh. And we, we all, uh, whenever that happened, we kind of always kind of caught ourselves. Like, we needed to do that for almost all of the parts where somebody spoke, because it was, everything kind of hinged on all these different moments. Even if somebody came in for a brief second, if they read false, it was it hurt the whole thing, you know. But good question. Um, Thank you. Um, no, it's to the person who asked. But, oh, okay. Uh, no, no. So Straight right here, over here in the tie. Well, I was gonna go to the tie. Okay, okay. A tie. Oh, this has become. <laughs> I'm sorry, I brought it up. I'm like, <laughs> uh, I want to kind of ask about improving in the cinematography style that you use, which kind of has this the camera so far away. Does that kind of allow for more improvisational and kind of exploring those scenes as it's going on? And just to be clear in general with that, like there's not a lot of improv in the show. Like we really, if anything, we would sort of explore moments when we met someone outside of it and then incorporate it into the script if we thought. But it had to be sort of like regimented because the lines and where the scenes went had such a structure to it over many minutes. And it's actually the opposite. What you would think, you'd think that being far away would allow more freedom, but it doesn't because you're literally shooting from so far away through such a small window, literally and figuratively, that if you miss your blocking or you miss yeah. this thing, you've missed the entire scene and then you have to shoot it all over again because everything is connected. Yeah, so, that's a good point. So it is like it, it's it's contradictory to what you'd think, but this style actually made us have to be really, really specific. But of course, there is you use improv to kind of take the script and mess it up, you know, to make it feel more natural. Because 
the actual words don't really matter as much as the kind of sentiment behind them. So if, if I were to say a word like, um, I'm trying to think of a, a big word. What's a good big word? Akimbo. Arms akimbo. That's a good, that's a small big word, akimbo. Uh, you know what that what means? That mean? It means arms at your sides. But I don't necessarily feel comfortable saying the words, oh yeah, he had his arms akimbo. Like if that was, that was the, good though. But if I, if I, I had believe that, that. But if what I had that in the script, on? oh yeah, they were sta- look, look, she's standing there, her arms akimbo, you know? That doesn't sound right. So I would say, can I say arms at the side, so- on her hips? That sounds better. Okay, great. It means the same thing, but it's not technically the same word. That's only six letters. It's not but that it's big. A, but it's a big word. But it's a big word in the sense that it's a word you don't know and has. To, it kind of sounds a little pretentious to say. Yeah, I was but. just thinking like esophagus or something. Okay, like which yeah. word? Esophagus. Esophagus. Yeah, that's yeah, a part of the body horrible. though. That's easy. Yeah. Yeah. No, I know. It's just bigger. Well, let's th- let's oh think of another big one. I have a hiatal hernia, and your esophagus is what's really the, a big what's part the what's of the, the word for when you mix up scent, like a, scents and okay. words? Okay. Let's. Who? Next question. What? you? What is it? Synesthesia. There you go. I have a recommendation. Yeah. I have a recommendation for the rest of the the Q the Q and A. Yeah. Hit us. This is very this is very Dave. Well, no, there I mean I'm seeing like 40 <laughs> hands and I I'm very <laughs> curious, but I feel like we should actively try to do a rapid fire like the most oh, wow. lightning round. Oh wow. This, round, is, like, give this a, is a nice new thing. Give a powerful yeah. sentence, like give a meaningful answer, but like let's not go on the tangents. <laughs> All right. But this is we're wow. answering the question, Dave. So All right, this now. is how it happens. This is how this is how the magic is made. You got me carried. Rapid. All right, now that everyone's been reined in. But now all of the hands. <laughs> all right, boom. Lightning round. Right in front of you. Yeah. Um, why was the choice made for like the long lenses, and how early in pre was that decided? Uh, from the beginning, and it was inspired by old '60s and '70s candid camera. Nice. Excellent. Nice. Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. Yes, she's she's had her yeah, hand up for a long time. Yeah. Oh, you need no, a mic. Wait. Oh, wow. Oh, that's the thing. That was with the lightning round. The 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 mic. There thing. we go. So, yeah. Exactly. Hi. Um, my sister and I have been Nathan fans for a long time, nine and a half years, and I would love if you could talk a little bit wait, about wait, nine and a half. Not you said. Yeah, years. Nine and a half years. Yes. Okay. Um, and I would love if you could talk about the world building because I've seen a lot of Easter eggs that I recognize. Oh, interesting. Tan- I'm not going to go on tangent, though. So. Um, you can tangent. Yeah. We can't tangent. That's the thing. You can oh, tangent. The McCary okay. rule is just we can't. Um, um, I'll say a couple. One is like the laughing comedy thing reminded me of like a ha-ha thing that happened in Nathan on Your Side. As well as oh, deep a, <laughs> like the episode seven with your with the distorted face in the mirror. There was like a also distorted thing That's on Nathan on your side, and then oh. in the Simon C's episode of Nathan for You, he wow. talks about the actor that plays Abshir, and then there he is, you know. Okay, wow. Okay, I see. I see. I um, didn't even know what Nathan on your side was. He had to quietly go, those are from Canada. Oh, yeah. Canada. yeah. <laughs> Holy shit. Vancouver. Uh, yeah. Some things uh, that you might see as Easter eggs uh, might be more uh, uh, about my limited range and uh, <laughs> yeah. how my brain works. 
Uh, but, you know, co- comedy is like, you know, I think a lot about comedy and there's various like forms of comedy and people trying to do comedy uh, unsuccessfully is often uh, kind of like, it's an interesting character trait when someone wants to be funny but they don't have the natural tendency. But generally, I, I just like to be akimbo about it. <laughs> Great lightning round. <laughs> Wait. No, uh, anyone. First thought. No, but there's isn't there someone in particular? She, she handed the microphone. All right. All right, all right. Yes. Wait, hold on. Hold on. We'll bring Whoa. your microphone. See, the thing that's... This is what I... I don't know how you deal with this. I'm just going to say, speak to my inner... I know you said no tangent, but... When you have, to, des- when you have to describe... Who gets the microphone? That's a very complicated no, position fraud. to be it's in. No, it's fraught. Yeah, it's, it's hard it's to be like, oh, yeah. what do you choose as the description for the person to hand the microphone? Thank you for seeing me. Yes, it's hard. Yeah. I've been told this is a stupid question, so please prove this person wrong. Uh-oh. Where do is the you person? Think Where is the person that said it was stupid? Okay. <gasps> All right. I love him very much. Do you think that your characters are bad people? Ooh, nice. Not a stupid question at all. Yeah, that's not that's a stupid not, question. That's, a stupid that's question. a very complex But it's hard, question. you know, that's like, you know, you get into the meaning of life when you start talking about that stuff. Can I, right? Exactly. Like, can I, can I, this would be interesting though. Can we have a show of hands if you guys think these characters are bad people? Whoa! <laughs> well, what do you, here's a question for oh, you. Yeah, that's all right. Okay, what, let's what go do you Whitney. Think? Whitney, hands. Asher. Dougie. Yes. Interesting. Here, here's a question for you. What do you think is a quality that makes someone a bad person? Wait, Kara. I saw One. Some, I saw some hands. Two. Oh. Nice. Okay, what's a quality that makes someone a bad person in your eyes? Okay, that's a question that I wasn't ready to answer. I think a bad person is probably someone who really only thinks about themselves and is using like the world around them at, like to their advantage and is taking advantage of other people, people less fortunate probably, taking advantage of people less fortunate in order to build themselves up. Now, do you see Whitney as someone who only thinks about herself? Yes. So what do you take it uh, when she does these other things for people that no one's seeing? Well, yeah. I how, mean, do you, I guess... how do you... What, what's that? Well, that's why I'm asking, because characters are three-dimensional people, right? And you guys are, I mean, your character, I'm, I'm going to assume that you build from yourselves with these characters and that you guys are not bad people, which is sort of why I'm asking the question, to get a sense of, like, how you feel about the actions of your characters and, like, where you pull from. So I've got a rapid-fire answer, okay? Good and bad is just two things, you know? I feel like there is a range more than binary about how people are and who they are. That's great. Uh, it's a question for Nathan. Um, <coughs> all right, so I look at the, like Nathan for you, the rehearsal and now this, some more of your recent work, as kind of like a sliding scale of reality. So like Nathan for you is probably the most reality show the rehearsal somewhere in the middle, and this is the most, like, I guess, scripted, but it feels, it, yeah, but, you know, it feels super real, and I guess, where do you see this in the context of your 
work and did, was it flexing the same muscles doing this or did it feel like a total stretch out of your comfort zone? It's like the goal in everything is just to like, you know, I think Benny and I share this like feeling when we were trying to make something. We just want the viewers, people watching at home. There's so many things I, I watch where I just sort of feel nothing and I like that sometimes but we like it if the viewer can like feel something when they're watching something and like engage with it and you know it comes in different forms and it's there's not a strategy in terms of like oh this is this it's just sort of like this project just made sense in the moment and we were excited to do it so we're we're trying things and uh look you know things are what they are what they are and the the, the world's a beautiful place <laughs> It's my mom right there, everybody. Benny's uh, mom. Yeah. <laughs> but generally speaking, I just want to say, with whatever like I make, and, and I know these guys feel the same way, like with everything, it, it's really hard to make something, and we're trying our best to like give you something new and entertaining, so it really means a lot that you're like engaging with the show and like coming out to these screenings and it's just so great. Truly, this is so special. We love it and we thank you for for supporting it and uh, it's awesome, it's really cool. So thanks so much.